Welcome to the Italian Football Podcast with John Solano, Carlo Garganese and Nima Tuvali. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another interview episode of the Italian Football Podcast. I'm Carlo Garganese. I hope you're all doing great. We are really excited about today's guest. He has been a politician in the UK for over four decades, and he has fought tirelessly against poverty, imperialism, uh, war, and many other injustices. Uh, his uh, most famous hour was his humiliation of the US Senate back in 2005. Uh, one of the great moments of uh, in political history. Um, he's a wonderful broadcaster, orator. Um, he has a fantastic talk show, uh, including the, the the mother of all talk shows on on RT. And and also he's a massive football fan, in particular of Celtic and Manchester United. So, George Galloway, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing? It's a pleasure for me. Uh, I must be perfectly honest. I do a lot of. Uh interviews like this, uh, but I don't always look forward to them with quite the relish uh, <laughs> that I look forward to this one. Thanks for having me. Well, hi, George. This is Nima, and thank you again for joining us. And um, before we get into the um, the football and politics discussion, um, I just wanted to ask you to begin where your love of football itself started. And if I'm not mistaken, you you're you're a huge Celtic and Manchester United fan. And, and how was the, the how did that support? How did you begin supporting them? Well, uh, I was thinking about this on, on the way to the studio today because I was sure that you would ask me <laughs> that. Uh, I, I was truly born into it. Uh, my father, God rest his soul, was uh, not just a football fan, but I'd say an aficionado. And so uh, from him, uh, as a small child, uh, I, I, I was able to witness all kinds of teams that were not his team or my team. Uh, so, for example, uh, in 1962-63, so I'd be uh, eight uh, and nine, uh, I followed the Dundee Football Club on their remarkable journey, their one and only Scottish uh, League Championship, and then their first, last, but most incredible European Cup journey. They got to the semi-final of the European Cup and were defeated by AC Milan. There's symmetry for you. Uh, in very controversial circumstances, I should say. Uh, I, I, and so my first European Cup game was not uh, watching a team that I supported, uh, but a team that played uh, Cologne of Germany, the champions of Germany, and Dundee, the champions of Scotland beat them 8-1 in their very first ever European Cup tie. I also attended the Rangers versus St. Mirren Scottish Cup final. Uh, so my father took me and exposed me to uh, all kinds of teams. Uh, but because I was born into what you might call the Irish Catholic diaspora, uh, Celtic was my, my home, if you like. Uh, in the early years, I didn't get to see them all that often. My father didn't travel to Glasgow to watch football. 
So I would as likely be found another game altogether. But once I was able to travel on my own, the 80 miles or so to Glasgow, I was uh, a resident in what we called then uh, the jungle, which was the, the legendary terracing uh, at the, uh, behind the goal, uh, which is long gone, but never forgotten. As to Manchester United, which I'd, I'd have to say is the team I uh, see most now. I go to a lot of the games. My Two of my sons are uh, kind of attached to the club. Uh, I, I, I was told by my father in 1963, so when I was nine years old, when Dennis Law signed from Turin, uh, you may recall, uh, and he was my father's favourite player, so he announced that we were Manchester United supporters uh, in England, uh, and uh, and I have been ever since. So that is an enormous amount of time uh, that I've been following uh, Manchester United, and I've seen them in many uh, many different uh, periods, of course, including the very great days of my compatriot Sir Alex Ferguson, um, and I watched them last night. Uh, a typically schizophrenic display, uh, which included one of the goals of any season uh, from uh, Edinson Cavani, uh, but also included losing two points, dropping two points to an already relegated Fulham side. Uh, I'm afraid that it's, it's uh, as Alec Ferguson put it, football, bloody hell. <laughs> um, speaking of that, um, 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 football, bloody hell, uh, there's, there is one Celtic game in particular I wanted to ask you about. And, and next week, it will be the 44th anniversary of that game. And it's the famous game and what probably the most famous game in Celtic's history. It's the 1967 European Cup final when Celtic incredibly beat. Uh, I mean, they, it was made up of a team where or everyone was born within 30 miles of Glasgow. And they beat Inter, the Grande Inter, Helenio Herrera's Grande Inter in Lisbon 2-1. I mean, I know, it's, as I said, it's 44 years ago soon. But what do you remember from that famous, from that famous night? Well, my main memory is literally running out the front door <laughs> with my arms aloft and running up the street, uh, quite a way up the street, actually. <laughs> Uh, and finding other boys of my age doing exactly the same thing, hearing cheers from inside uh, people's houses. Uh, it was uh, a feat like no other. It was the first ever British uh, victory in the European Cup. Uh, but it was a victory for football. I know you're the Italian football podcast. I hope <laughs> you'll forgive me what I'm about to say. Uh, Herrera... For me, looking back, uh, represented uh, everything that was bad about football. Uh, defensive, the whole Catanaccio thing, uh, cynical, um, nine, ten men behind the ball. Uh, it was uh, a triumph for free-flowing, unscripted, really, uh, attacking football. And I think that's why the victory was so popular. Uh, around the world. Uh, Herrera was um, then possibly the highest paid football manager in the world. And I was looking up this afternoon uh, what his wages were. And uh, he was the highest paid in the world. Uh, 
and he was on 30,000 a year. Uh, and that would be a low wage per week uh, nowadays, which shows you how long ago it is. Uh, but although Milan had wonderful players uh, in their side, we never really got to see that because of the infatuation with marginal victories. They're ruling uh, the penalty that area. was so the opposite of Celtic's style. So what do I remember? I, I remember going one down uh, to, a, to a penalty. Uh, uh, it was uh, given away by a man that I became very friendly with, John Clark. Uh, it, it was then equalized by the late Tommy Gemmell, uh, who later played for Dundee and managed Dundee. Uh, but of course, most of all, I remember the winning goal uh, by the late Stevie Chalmers uh, and, mm. and the joy unconfined uh, which, uh, which followed. Uh, Hugh McIlvany, the greatest of all football writers, uh, described at the time how days afterwards, uh, the, the holdouts of Glaswegians uh, were still to be found in pockets uh, coming out of cafes, coming out of bars, a gaggle of Glasgow accents. Uh, it was something truly amazing. One other uh, observation, if I may, the, uh, the Glasgow Select uh, issue is a, a very important one. No team will ever win uh, Europe's premier trophy again uh, with all of the players from the city of the club. Uh, a 30-mile radius. Amazing. Every one of the team came from there. Mm -hmm. And secondly, I remember how our players looked so pale. In <laughs> fact, Jock Steen, the Celtic manager, warned all the Celtic players to stay out of the sun. He said, I don't even want you to go near the window in your hotel room. If a man has as much as one freckle on his arm, he'll <laughs> be on the plane home. And our players were so pale and spindly uh, and uh, uh, with teeth missing and so on, compared to the glamour uh, of Milan uh, uh, with their beautiful suntans and their shiny legs with, I think it would be liniment in those days. <laughs> uh, Milan looked like film stars and uh, we didn't, but we triumphed. Mm. Um, another player, like uh, Jimmy Johnston, was the star of that Celtic team, and the great Giacinto Facchetti, uh, Inter's who later became the president of that club, he he marked uh, Johnston that night and called him the Scottish George Best. Um, how good was Jimmy Johnston? Well, Jimmy Johnston was the star of almost every Celtic game in which he played. He turned Facchetti inside out, gave him twisted blood to borrow another, uh, <laughs> another of McIlvany's great uh, lines. Uh, and Facchetti was no mean fullback, as you and your watchers, listeners will know. Uh, so Jimmy Johnson was dazzling. Uh, and he, in a way, personified the point I was making a moment or two ago. If you looked at Jimmy Johnson, you, you, you wouldn't have expected him uh, physically to be uh, on that stage, uh, the great shining star that he was. Uh, I don't know, I can't remember the state of his dental work <laughs> then, uh, but uh, he, he, he looked like uh, a man off a corner of a street in Glasgow. 
just placed on this football pitch, this arena uh, in, in Lisbon. Uh, but uh, my goodness, once the football started, Jimmy Johnson showed them the way. Mm. Yeah, he sure did. He's uh, one of my favourite players. Which I've watched so much of him and he's the, the dribbling is unbelievable. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. another great dribbler, I mean, <laughs> to move on. Um, I've always said that the two greatest individual performances that I've ever seen, one, Diego Maradona's uh, performance against England in the 1986 World Cup, and um, your performance in the in front of the U.S. Senate in in 2005. So, I mean, which which performance do you think was better? Give you a chance to talk about Maradona as well. <laughs> well, the uh, the hand of God was de definitely present on both occasions. Uh, I I said afterwards that God had given me wings that day, uh, and uh, of course the hand of God was present in Maradona's famous goal. Uh, I, I I tend to agree with you. Uh, by the way, I saw Maradona play at Hampden Park when he was, I think, 16 years old. Uh, and I saw him play keepy up at halftime uh, in a way that left no doubt that this was someone we were going to hear much more of. Uh, and I, I totally loved the documentary about Maradona uh, mm. that I saw last year. And my good friend John Ludden, uh, on whose book, yeah the documentary was based. I've interviewed him more than once uh, about Maradona. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, there are moments uh, that, uh, that uh, just seem to arrive, although in a way, all of your previous life has been preparing you for that moment. And there were people who were apprehensive about me going to the U.S. Senate, uh, thinking I'd end up in an orange jumpsuit uh, in Guantanamo Bay. But for me, it was an opportunity in the court of the Sultan uh, to speak truth to power. So wild horses couldn't have kept me away from it. And when you're there, if you're speaking the truth, you don't have to have a good memory, as they say. Uh, so I was brimful uh, of the truth. And there I was in front of the whole world's cameras, uh, able to deliver it. And, and God gave me the words to do that. Uh, the, the, uh, I've often made the boxing metaphor before. Uh, I was a boxer when I was young, and there is a moment in a boxing match when you know from the other fellow's eyes, or he knows from yours, uh, that you no longer want to be there. Uh, that you are praying for the bell, if not the towel. Uh, and that's the uh, look I saw in the eyes of my, my interrogators, my inquisitors. Um, so that was uh, truly uh, great occasions, the best uh, occasion of my life uh, so far, but I'm hoping for one or two more. Uh, as to uh, Maradona, almost without peer, uh, definitely in the in the top three or maybe five uh, of all time uh, greatest uh, footballers, um, sadly diminished uh, as the documentary showed uh, so graphically. Didn't do it for as long, just like George Best, as he could have. 
if uh, other things had not uh, waylaid him. Um, but I was privileged to see Maradona uh, in some magnificent occasions, including the one defeating England. I am Scottish after all. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> but definitely enjoy that. Um, okay, well, let's let's move on uh, a little bit more to, to politics. Um, before we, we come to, to Palestine, there's there's always been an, an age-old debate whether sports and politics should mix. I mean, we've seen like over the last year, you know, footballers in England taking the knee in support of the Black Lives Matter. Uh, we've seen, you know, various other political gestures as well over the years. Um, now, a few months ago, the Milan striker, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, he, he caused a bit of a stir in Italy because he said that basically politics and football shouldn't mix. Do you think that, that football and politics should mix? Well, it's not really a case of wishing that it did mix or not. Uh, it does because football is not played on paper and it's not just played on grass. Uh, it's played in the society, in the world in which we live. Many of the people who say they don't want uh, politics in football, uh, it depends what the politics are. Uh, no one... Uh, is against, least of all me, uh, people, uh, footballers wearing poppies and having uh, a minute silence before two minutes silence on uh, on Remembrance Day and so on. Uh, I, I wholly approve of that, but that is politics. Mm -hmm. Taking the knee is politics. Uh, and both of these things happen because it would be, it would be frankly weird if uh, football pretended that the rest of life, the life led by the uh, people who are its life's blood, the fans, uh, did not exist. Uh, of course, you don't want uh, every game to become a, a political demonstration, uh, but there have been some truly magnificent gestures. Mm -hmm. uh, one that you might not be familiar with, Robbie Fowler, the goal machine at Liverpool, whose uncle was a docker and who was on strike in the Liverpool docks in uh, quite an epic uh, struggle. Uh, Robbie scored a goal one night, lifted his shirt and support the Liverpool dockers was on his vest. Uh, now, that was a genuine, heartfelt, working class gesture, uh, which uh, great, gave great happiness to the dockers and their families and to working class uh, people all over the country. Um, when I saw uh, Paul Pogba and Ahmed Diallo last night with the Palestinian flag at the end of that uh, really quite awful uh, game against Fulham, uh, it was the brightest spot of the night, but for Cavani's goal, which belonged on, on a different uh, planet. But uh, and ditto when uh, Fofana and Chaudhry uh, produced a Palestinian flag at the FA Cup final, right in front of the FA Cup and right in front of a billion yeah. television viewers around the world watching the FA Cup final. Uh, these things greatly heartened me. Uh, so uh, I think it depends. You're going to like it if you agree with the politics. Uh, you're going to dislike it if you don't. But to wish uh, sport out of uh, politics out of sport is a forlorn 
hope. Uh, when the United States boycotted the Moscow Olympics, you couldn't get a greater uh, infusion of politics into sport than that. But usually that's not what people mean when they say they don't want mm. politics yeah. in football. Mm. Yeah, well said. Yeah. That mm. was actually going to be my next question was was because there's been such an outpouring of, of support at the moment. You mentioned some of the, the gestures there. Uh, Pogba and Diallo, you've had, uh, I mean, in Italy, we've had uh, uh, Ashraf Hakimi of Inter, one of the best fullbacks in the world. Um, and I mean, even Celtic, your club Celtic, I saw they put some flags, uh, but the club took them down, I, I saw. Um, I was just about to add that, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, yeah, what, what do you make of all this this support? I mean, like you said, it, it, it greatly heartens you, but it also, it, it, footballers today have so such superstars that they can send out a message that otherwise can be hidden away, especially with, with what's going on in Palestine. Well, uh, I, I've been uh, supporting the Palestinian people for, uh, believe it or not, 50 years. And so I've lived through uh, a great many of these catastrophes, some of them even worse, much worse uh, than this one is yet. Uh, but I've never known a time when there were so many of us standing up against it. And that cannot be separated from the, uh, the celebrity and eminence of uh, some of the people uh, that are now identifying themselves with the Palestinian cause. I mean, the, the father uh, of uh, two models, uh, Muhammad, um, he, Hadid, he uh, retweeted some of my work, uh, or rather on Instagram. Uh, now, he's the father of the two young women, uh, and he's got a million and a half followers on Instagram. Uh, the girls have got, in one case, 40, and in the other case, 50 million followers. Mm -hmm. And they have been expressing their uh, support for the Palestinian people. So... Uh, with Pogba and Diallo and, uh, and uh, Hakimi and others. Uh, not enough. I wish uh, Zlatan, whom I love dearly, uh, would, uh, would do the same. Uh, the, the spread, if you like, through social media and the vast social media followings uh, that these uh, celebrities have has meant that, and I, I was reading someone uh, on the Israeli side of the argument, this very morning, uh, pointing out that for the first time, possibly, uh, Israel is losing the battle uh, for hearts and minds uh, around the world. And I feel sure that that's true. And I also feel sure that that is in part uh, due to uh, these footballers and, and models and, uh, mm. and uh, uh, um, popular music stars and film stars and so on. I agree. Although I've, most I've of seen, them, yeah, most sorry of to them are in. silent. Yeah, sorry uh, to butt in. That's what I was going to say, George. It's like, I've never seen, I think that a lot of people are, are let's say, scared sometimes to, to voice their support for Palestine. And I think this time, I've, I've seen people who in the past would be like, oh, I don't really want to say anything because I'm worried, you know, what, what people are going to say about me. And now feeling like they, they can actually, you know, voice their solid solidarity and then you know it's a human rights issue at the end of the day uh, more well, than anything 
Yeah, and, and to build on that, um, I mean, Ro Roger Waters from the legendary Pink Floyd band, uh, he petitions FIFA and UEFA to, to ban Israel in a similar way to how South Africa weren't allowed to play, uh, will partake in any sports really during apartheid. And I just want to briefly explain to our listeners why we use that term apartheid um, to contextualize it. And that is because Israeli human rights group Beit Salim, as well as international human, right, human rights group Human Rights Watch, have both recent months come out and described the state of Israel's treatment of Palestine and Palestinians to be just that, apartheid. And more recently, in the last week, Amnesty International calling on what Israel has done to Gaza, uh, demanding an investigation for war crimes. Now, you lived through that period, and, and from what I've done my research, you were very active in that period uh, uh, in South Africa to defeat apartheid. Did you, do you think that this is something that, that should be done also to Israel? And what do you think the footballing world can actually do to help end apartheid? Well, Mandela himself, uh, uh, every time he spoke about uh, the situation of the Palestinian people described Israel as an apartheid state. And we really should take Nelson Mandela's word <laughs> for that. Uh, after all, he was the leader of the anti-apartheid struggle and a political prisoner for 27 years uh, fighting uh, for uh, liberation from apartheid. So, you know, if something looks like a duck, walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And apartheid is where uh, some people in a state have, as a matter of law, not prejudice, but as a matter of law, uh, fewer rights, vastly fewer rights than other people in that state. Uh, not because of anything they have done, but because of what they are. In the case of South Africa, because they were Africans. They could not be allowed to vote or have the same kind of rights uh, that white people did in South Africa. And ditto in Palestine. There are at least six million Palestinians living under occupation in Gaza, in the West Bank, and in East Jerusalem. They have been living under that occupation since 1967, uh, the very year that we are talking about. Uh, in the context uh, of, uh, of the European Cup win, uh, they uh, have, are, to all intents and purposes, Israeli citizens, and yet they have none of the rights uh, that Israeli citizens have. And as there is no prospect of that occupation ending, on the contrary, it gets deeper and wider, every day, uh, then the demand, as we demanded in South Africa, for one man, one woman, one vote, uh, with equal rights for every person there, uh, becomes intellectually and morally at least uh, uh, an unanswerable demand. But of course, uh, life is not just about intellectuality and morality. Uh, the politics of it make uh, what I'm calling for here extremely unlikely, but no more or less unlikely uh, than any other possible solution. So I think we should take Mandela's word for it. Israel is an apartheid state. Now, what did we do uh, when we were faced with an apartheid state in South Africa? Well, as you 
kindly uh, alluded. I myself was underground in apartheid South Africa as an agent of the African National Congress led by Nelson Mandela. I gave my blood in a police station in Gugoletu Township in Cape Town, uh, only from uh, several blows to the nose. I'm not suggesting I was shot or uh, anything like that, but I did give my, my blood uh, for that. Uh, but what were other people doing around the world? Well, they were boycotting apartheid South Africa. No self-respecting person would have uh, played football or rugby or cricket against apartheid South Africa, and no self-respecting person did. Uh, there were some uh, mercenaries who did, but they would not be described as self-respecting. No self-respecting person would knowingly buy or invest in uh, or frolic and holiday in apartheid South Africa. So why, why should we do it in this case? But Israel is in the Eurovision Song Contest. It's in the European Football Championships, even though it's not in Europe or in the Eurovision area. So not only is Israel not ostracized, it is in fact given special dispensation by football, uh, by television and other things. And that's just morally wrong. And I think we're reaching a critical mass of people who agree with me on that. Sure. Um, just before we finish off with a quick way, we've got a couple of questions sent in to us from our listeners and patrons. And um, our mutual friend, John Ludden, who you already met, uh, mentioned, who you had on your show, um, he asks, would Diego Maradona had got, have gotten in to Celtics 1967 <laughs> team? <laughs> Maradona would have got in any team at any time in history. A truly <laughs> phenomenal player. Um, Sam Gallagher asks, who's the greatest Scottish footballer of all time and who's your favourite Italian football player ever? Uh, very good point. Uh, there are several Scottish contenders, including uh, the aforementioned Dennis Law. Uh, but I'm going to name one that you may not have heard of, uh, whose name is Charlie Cook. And I can say that I was able to see him up close and personal at Dundee, at Aberdeen, and then at Chelsea. Uh, he's still alive. He's in the United States. Uh, look him up. Uh, Charlie Cook was the best Scottish footballer I personally have seen at his, uh, his best. Um, as for Italian footballers, I'd go with Gianni Rivera. I saw him <laughs> in the first leg of the... Uh, Milan Dundee European Cup semi-final. So I did see him personally, but I saw him on television many, many times in his long and illustrious uh, uh, career. Uh, but I kind of liked Viale also when he was at uh, Chelsea. Uh, Italy has produced a galaxy of uh, great footballers, Rossi and uh, others. Sarti, who was in goal for uh, Milan that night, uh, uh, Mazzola, who was up front for mm -hmm. Milan that night. Great, great players. I mean, mm -hmm. Italy, it, I take my hat off to the Italian people <laughs> and to Italian football. I just add this, that it was Manchester United players that were pulling up trees in your league this year. 
Lukaku uh, being only yes. <laughs> one of them. Love him. Yeah, absolutely love him. Big Rom. Um, and just to finish off, we always play a quick fire game with our guests where we basically um, we run through two, two or three options for each questions. And you just tell me which one you prefer. And you don't have to explain if you don't want to. OK. Yeah. And the first one, I think everyone in the world's been answered this. I've uh, been asked this. Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo? Ronaldo. I'm a very big fan of Cristiano Ronaldo, partly because I saw him so often at Old Trafford and even in away games. I remember at Fulham, uh, what I was down right next to the pitch and Ronaldo was warming up to come on as a sub. And I looked at him in awe. Uh, he was like a, a Greek god uh, <laughs> warming up in front of me. His, his physicality and his genius uh, on the ball has to be Ronaldo. For me, he did it uh, in more countries and for more sides, more clubs, and he carried... Portugal uh, to greatness. So for me, it's Ronaldo. Um, I think you've already answered this next, next one, but I have to ask it anyway, just to remove, uh, disperse all doubt. Diego Maradona or Pele? I'm going for Maradona, controversial choice. <laughs> uh, um, and again, for partly the same reasons, mm. uh, Maradona did it uh, in more places. Uh, Pele stayed in Brazil with Santos uh, before going to the United States in the in the twilight. Uh, both, of course, great, great players, but I'd have to go with Maradona. Okay. George Best or Jimmy Johnston? Jimmy Johnston, uh, because he did it for longer, but uh, uh, George Best, uh, a, a work of art. Although, a final quote from Michael Vanny, uh, watching what George Best did to his career was like watching a beautiful woman draw an open razor across her face. And I'm sorry to say that is true. I even traveled to every game, I think, that George Best played for Hibernian in Scotland when he was playing for money for, for drink uh, on one-off uh, payments uh, for Hibs. And in flashes, boy... Could he still turn it on? Yeah, he, he sure could. Okay, um, who do you dislike more, Tony Blair or George Bush? Uh, Tony Blair, because George Bush has the alibi of being an imbecile. Uh, but uh, Tony Blair was expensively educated at Oxford University. On my taxes, I was working in a tire factory in Michelin making ZX radials and paying uh, tax to keep Tony Blair in the cloisters at Oxford University. So he has no such alibi. And the most controversial and divisive question we've asked you tonight, pineapple on pizza, food heaven or food hell? <laughs> hell, I would never eat <laughs> Thank pizza. you, George. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That almost made up for all the Inter Milan abuse I've been taking here <laughs> as an Interista. <laughs> okay. George, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a great honour uh, for us. Before we let you go, is there anything we were, you know, you'd like to promote to our listeners where they can find you? If I may, yeah. Well, you can follow me on Twitter, hundreds of thousands of people do, or on Facebook, on uh, Instagram. But most of all, I'd love it if you tuned in to the mother of all talk shows. 7 p.m. London time every Sunday night. 
You can do that on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, or uh, on the internet at sputniknews.com. Be great to see you. Thank you very much. We wish you and your loved ones the best and to stay safe and healthy. And to everyone else, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week on Monday for a review show. Until then, ciao, ciao.